This is the Urban Political, the podcast on urban theory, research, and activism. We delve into contemporary urban issues with scholars, activists, and policymakers from around the world, providing informed views, state-of-the-art knowledge, and unusual insight. The podcast aims to advance our understanding of urban environment. And how we might make them more just and democratic. Welcome to the Urban Political Podcast. My name is Markus Kipp, and in this episode, I have the great pleasure to interview four exciting activist scholars to discuss the challenge of combining urban research and action. To what extent can we think of academic research as benefiting urban activism, or should we rather focus on how academic logics obstruct deeper activist engagements? These are the key questions to be addressed at this open-air wine panel discussion on a beautiful July night in the city of Zagreb. In the context of the 29th annual conference of the International Network of Urban Research and Action, I'm briefly going to introduce to you these four people in the order of their appearance. Richard Wolf was an urban researcher and academic until he became elected as member of the city government of Zurich in 2013, where he now heads the Department of Civil Engineering and Waste Management. Kate Shaw is a critical urban geographer at the University of Melbourne, who looks at how political, economic and social processes shape the cultures of cities. Tomislav Tomasevich is a political scientist who works at the Institute for Political Ecology in Zagreb and is now a member of City Council under the platform Zagreb Genache. Zagreb is ours. Ulrike Hamann is a postdoc at the Berlin Institute for Empirical Integration and Migration Research at Humboldt University. She's a co-founder of the neighborhood initiative Cotty Co. and has also been an activist for the Berlin Rent Referendum. I'm here on the hill of Graditz in uptown Zagreb on the occasion of the 29th Inura Conference in Zagreb. The first question I'd like to ask, um, and I'm addressing this uh, first to, to Richard, uh, who is one of the co-founders of the Inura Network. Um, Richard, could you give me uh, a very brief account of... Uh, the motivations to create a network that aimed to bridge urban research and action? I think it uh, is fair to say that we were a group of students, of uh, students of geography in the city of Zurich, and we had all experienced some very uh, uh, troublesome or exciting years in Zurich, which were basically a cultural revolution that was carried out in the streets. So we were very politicized about uh, uh, action in the cities and achieving goals of, of participation, of cultural venues, of, of more democracy in the development of the city. And at the same time, as we were activists in the streets, we were also uh, students and scholars. So we tried to find uh, people, similar-minded similar people, 
in, in other cities to discuss these issues, to how to bring together action and research as, as, as activist students. And so we first uh, looked around in, in Germany. We found some colleagues uh, in, in universities in Germany. And they then helped us to find some other colleagues in London. And from there on, uh, we started with the idea, well, let's try to get an international association going, an international network. And, and that's how we started it. And we, we, we collected uh, addresses and names and people that knew other people. And, and we started sending letters. That was the time before emails. So we were sending letters, handwritten or machine-written letters, to several people. And we, we invited about, I don't know, 60, 70 people. And 20 of them came to the first meeting in Salecina in the Swiss mountains near St. Moritz. And that's where we started it. We wrote down the principles. And from then on, it continued. We didn't know whether it would be a success, but from then on, every year, somebody volunteered to organize a conference. And in between, we had, by now, we have a, a, a blog, we have an internet platform to exchange uh, information and contacts and so on, and it's working. So that's great. So we are now 29 years after that founding moment, and uh, at the conference uh, today, we, I think, uh, are above uh, 100 uh, participants. Kate, um, so could you tell me of how, how well, first of all, give me a quick idea of, on the spectrum of activism and, uh, and uh, academic research, how, where you would position yourself and then how do you confront uh, this, this challenge of uh, bridging urban research and uh, activism? Hmm. Yeah, well, um, these are questions that I've lived with all my life. Uh, but I, I began um, my adult life as an activist. I was living in a red light district in Melbourne, you know, the, the, the Soho, low rent, you know, drug fueled, post punk, um, you know, fantastic time where we were paying like $90 a week in rent in all of these cheap flats and our you know, local community meeting place was the, uh, the local pub um, and um, proposals came through from many, many developers, international developers. It was in the late 80s after the stock market crash when money was just pouring into the property sector to pull down all of these flats and turn them into luxury hotels and we just went well no no we don't think so um that was a very successful campaign and it went on for years and somewhere through that i i realized i needed to know more about just the politics the dynamics how does this work who's got control how, how does it occur that you can have a place that so many people value for so many reasons whether people are living in low-income housing through circumstance or choice it gives people the opportunity to create and do things and form relationships that are incredibly healing and fruitful and productive so I went to study and la 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 okay one one more recent example I've, I've, I've always well I kind of took from Harvey's idea that you need to spend time on the barricades and then you need to go and reflect 
on what you've learned, what you've achieved, have some quiet time to read and think, and then you come back out, yeah? And, and this becomes a, a self-reinforcing um, positive up, upward spiral, I think. M much more recently, um, I, was, I, ma I managed to manoeuvre myself in a position <clears throat> where I was invited to do an evaluation of um, Melbourne's first um, renewal, redevelopment of a public housing estate. Um, it, it had already occurred, um, public tenants had been evicted, there was a lot of private housing built, um, the, <clears throat> the public and the private, um, the renewed public housing was segregated from the private housing. Um, um, I think 260 um, units were lost from the estate, there were people displaced. Um, the developer uh, of the outfit um, walked away with around $50 million in profit uh, after the state sold the land very cheaply to that developer. And I knew this and I wanted to make an evaluation that made this public. So we wrote, my team and I wrote a report that was extremely critical. We found out a lot of information um, that we wouldn't have got otherwise had we not signed confidentiality agreements. So when it came to the final submission of the document, the department wanted to um, edit pretty much every single important finding that we made. And we brought it down to the three key points that they were not prepared to negotiate on and neither were we. One, that there were a lot of evictions, permanent evictions. Two, um, that the land was sold at a scandalously low price. And three, that the developer made a massive profit. Um, we refused to uh, change those findings and so the department decided to not release that report. Um, and even though people knew about it, the government said it didn't exist. So several years on, we had been talking about the report. More estates were being redeveloped. Um, and through my activism and being connected to um, the Greens in particular in Parliament, we were able to um, organise an upper house parliamentary review into the entire program, which was now being rolled out on three other estates. And in the course of that um, inquiry, I was subpoenaed to release the report and of course I could not break the law um, so the report was released and it went on to the parliamentary website and it caused a storm. So there is now a very very big campaign to um, stop and amend in fundamental ways the, um, the public housing redevelopment program. Um, so that kind of back and forth thing is, is vitally important. We have to make our research relevant and we use our activism to um, throw it into the spotlight and then we can go back to doing research on how to help other people organise, add new information so that it comes a campaign to actually change the system. Yeah, It's pretty impressive. Thank you. Um, Tomislav, uh, you you balance um, a position as an academic and as a city councillor here in uh, Zagreb. Uh, so on that spectrum, how would you position yourself um, 
and uh, how 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 is in your case the uh, relationship between urban re uh, research and action well i would first of all i would say my primary identity is activist everything else is secondary identity and academic i i don't know for me this is a difficult uh, label Uh, and uh, b and actually the Institute for Political Ecology which is one of the organizers uh, together with Right to the City of the Nura 29th conference is a think tank which was established by academics and activists together so we wanted to bridge this gap between the research which happens in academia and the, also the activism and the social movements and uh, and I was uh, my whole life an activist uh, environmentalist movement in Right to the City movement, uh, we were one of the founders of the Right to, to the City in Zagreb. We had this huge struggle uh, that tomorrow is going to be more about in one of the tours so on the Varsovska street and the luxurious uh, apartments that we can see from here. And, uh, and then I would say at some point uh, I just kind of saw that we need, I don't know, I felt more theory is needed, more research is needed. And I pursued maybe a part of the academic career and, and had a, uh, a master in Cambridge University on the same department uh, where David Harvey was that we brought before in Zagreb and kind of tried to build up the critical urban theory and practice in Zagreb from the bottom because there was nothing there. Because after the socialism uh, broke down in, uh, in uh, Croatia and Yugoslavia, for 20 years there was no left-wing critical uh, academic literature, research, nothing. And so we had to do that from scratch and that's why on this conference you see a lot of young panelists, lecturers, tour guides because we have a generational gap of the left-wing academics after the 90s until the last five, six years. Uh, so, uh, so I would say first of all that I'm an activist in the Institute for Political Ecology. There are more people who maybe would call themselves first academics. And that's why we work together. And this city council thing is, I would say, really uh, just an add-on. Because uh, I still feel myself as an, as an activist. We always say when we established this political platform called Zagreb Nash, Zagreb is ours. We were, we were uh, inspired by Barcelona and Comú example. And we always say we are, one, we are with one leg in the institutions and we are with the other leg in the street. Protesting, fighting... We are in the opposition in the city council, so we don't. We are not ruling, so it's not very different from from being in a social movement and being an activist. So, I wouldn't say it's hard to balance. If we are in power, that would be a different story, and I'm sure Richard can tell you more about that difference. If you are in the opposition or if you are in power. So, um, could you give me an example of why or how um, urban theory is? Uh, important for activism in Zagreb? Well, I mean, in Croatia has a, a, a very kind of good tradition of philosophical school called Praxis, which was kind of uh, working within the socialist Yugoslavian framework, which tries to make this uh, gap between theory and practice uh, kind of superficial. So basically, we are. There is no activism. That we don't believe there's a practice without really understanding the analysis. What are the driving forces that are causing us uh, these problems that we have to fight against, and also what are the solutions? And for the solutions, we always try to look at comparative research to see what are different models that could work maybe in Zagreb. But here, of course, we are very careful because we really don't believe 
in this copy-paste situation. But yet again, we believe that we can learn from different struggles and different examples of solutions. So, so that's why this, I think, the point of the conference, this is the point of Inura for me. Uh, maybe as one, one kind of example, uh, I was uh, brought to Inura five years ago uh, in Belgrade. So the Belgrade people uh, organized Inura. They invited me to give a, a presentation of the Varsovska struggle in Zagreb, which was inspiring for them because at that time they were starting the struggle against the Belgrade Waterfront project. And now, uh, five years later, we are organizing the conference in Zagreb and we are fighting against the Zagreb Waterfront project with the same investor like in Belgrade. So <laughs> this obviously shows you that you know, cooperation is important and, yeah, uh, yes. and uh, you know, their synergies are important and, and yes, you can be stronger if you really work together. Okay, thank you, uh, Tomislav. So I'd like to move on to Ulrike. Um, you you work as a researcher at uh, the Humboldt University in the Institute uh, of Social Sciences, and um, you're also very active in in the project uh, Coty and Co. Um, so could you maybe give me a brief account of how the two Uh, activities uh, go together? I started um, to be an urban activist while doing my PhD on a totally different discipline, totally different theory. I was writing in post-colonial theory, I was um, studying race theory so it wasn't I wasn't coming from the urban field so to say so but I was always an activist as well so I uh, this kind of um, you know it the struggle came to me I didn't look for it it was just what that I was a tenant in social housing and then this whole struggle about social housing started with a just with a rent increase so We were just um, thrown into it, I would say. And, of course, my theoretical background helped in a way. So I was, of course, working with the theory of hegemony and subaltern. So I was studying Gramsci and I was studying Ranciere and disagreement. So that was kind of structuring as well my thinking about the protest we were starting there. And I was working with Lefebvre before, but you know, but I found the same articulation of we are doing the social space we are in uh, that Lefebvre had within my neighbors. So they were the theorists as well. So I could you know relate to it, um, and I could use my skills, my academic skills of doing research of. Uh, writing of putting an analysis into words that more people understand and so on that was kind of my academic use of my skills um, and on the other hand I would say I, I paused my PhD totally I became a full-time activist in this struggle because you couldn't do both in this moment and I'm a bit skeptical about this relationship of um, doing both at the same time or because I think uh, both fields work uh, on different logics 
You know, academia works on totally different logics than politics or political activism works. But but, but theories of social mix, theories of gentrification, theories of displacement and hegemony and power become very important um, vehicles to allow you to frame what's going on in the ground in ways that people respond to, yeah? And there is an authority that comes with um, a position in an academic institution. I mean, your research is peer-reviewed. and it's, it's, There is a, a strong base to, particularly to comparative analyses. And so if you can come out and say that, that a massive range of studies into social mix show that it's actually a process of social cleansing uh, and it must necessarily involve displacement when it's imposed, then when you come back into the campaign, that carries weight, right? I would absolutely disagree because in beside of all the critical studies of social mix, for instance, it is not being acknowledged in any communal politics field because, you know, whole of the academic critical urban studies field, I know, is criticizing social mix. It is not being part of you know, what communal politics, municipal politics would think of. You will, like, in every kind of every policy we are facing, you will have a, an affirmative, positive relation to social mix, for instance. So the field of academia and of critical academia is totally, you know, separated from local politics, I would say. How would you say that? <coughs> I would, I would actually um, direct this question now further on to uh, Richard Wolf, who is a counselor in power. Um, so how, how do you see this uh, relationship between academic research, um, and you've been an urban researcher, and uh, local politics? Um, I think it's easiest if I start with, uh, with just briefly telling my, my career. I was a member of various social movements in the city of, of Zurich around housing and ecological transport issues mainly. And, and um, I then entered politics at, at an at a advanced age, I must say, <laughs> formal politics, institution, institutional politics. Uh, uh, by by joining the uh, party and by getting elected into parliament as a member of the parliament and then after only three years in parliament I was uh, I, I had the opportunity to become a member of the government as a first member of my party my party was actually a party of, of social movements uh, who had never been part of the government so I was like the first representative of my party in government because the party had been a, a, an association of various uh, feminist, ecologist, communist, all sorts of, 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 of people's movements, really. And um, by m me be becoming a member of the government, it, uh, it really brought up this whole issue of what can you, what can you, what's your role in government? What can the role of an activist or of a member of, of social movements be in the government? 
and and it, that was a kind of an experiment because uh, all of us we didn't know exactly what was possible in government because you had to be more pragmatic you had to start going into compromise but you could also bring up issues that came directly from the social movements with much more understanding i think that's the value of me having been member of these movements that i knew what the demands were i knew why the demands were there and i knew how these uh, how how social movements work what their motivation is what their inspiration is what their goals are and and because i was myself member of of these groups before so i think i have a much better understanding as a as a member of the government when i when i um, negotiate with these groups about new issues that come up the climate issues transport issues uh, housing issues i have i think i have a much closer uh, and an intenser dialogue with with people and of course my theoretical training my 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 studies and everything helps me also so i think for in, for for in order to be a good politician i think it helps a lot if you have this knowledge and experience of having been an activist before because you have a totally different approach to politics and how does uh, your background as an as someone uh, familiar with urban theories helps you well for example uh, 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 david harvey was mentioned twice already in 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 this round and i think his concept of social justice and the city and his concept of of switching between activism and theory has has helped me a lot to to survive in formal politics because the, the the risk is it, there's a big risk that you just join in and become like majorized by by everybody else in the government like our government consists of nine 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 equal uh, members in the government so in order to really withstand and and and, and give some oppositional voice in in this group of of uh, in, inside the government you have to have a lot of uh, uh, um, a firm a firm fund, fund, fundament a basis and i think i can bring this basis from my experience with working with with social movements and being member of all sorts of ngos and so on okay that's um these are four um very inspiring uh, different accounts and i'd like to continue our conversation if you uh, want to engage the question of what needs to be done um in order to bridge this gap between urban research uh, and activism in a more constructive way um, in the future. And you may, you may talk about this uh, in the context of uh, uh, shortcomings in the uh, academia or shortcomings in the activist uh, practice uh, that, that you have uh, encountered. Ulrike is being pointed to. Um, that's a good question. Um, I'm actually not in the position of having an answer because I think that both fields, um, urban politics and academia, work, function on different logics um, and different temporalities as well. So in a way, you, for instance... You have uh, the economic dimension. In academia, you need to um, 
to prove your argument, of course, that is comparable, but also you have to test new theories, new methods, you have to be innovative, you have to uh, work in, in project-oriented terms, um, which also you know, has to reflect with the logic of academic business in a way. Yeah? You have to, to stay in this logic in a way. You have to you know, think about how you can test the theoretical argument that has not been, in a way, it has not been tested before. In political... I mean, I, I think I think what academics can do is is both. Yeah, I mean, yes, there is a there, there is an increasing requirement in neoliberal <coughs> universities and institutions throughout the world to publish and publish you know, increasingly obscurely and 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 highly theoretically in order to make it into the top journals and so on. And while we do that, we it is incumbent on us also to write very clearly and simply and directly and use and utilize the many other forms of publishing that are available um, through online magazines and and so I mean I write as much for publicly accessible um, you know <clears throat> ways of getting the message out as I do actually more these days than I do um, journal articles but the journal articles still stand there as a backup for people who are interested and want to follow the argument further. So, I mean, we have, we have the task as, as, as activist academics of crossing that divide by speaking different languages, by writing in different places, by being able to talk to communities, being able to talk to politicians, being able to uh, talk to other academics. And I guess the one thing that I would find is that my language is actually now starting to become more flat. I mean, I, I'm, I'm increasingly using the same language for all of these different audiences. Uh, and I think that people are becoming more aware of the necessity of that. So the audiences are, you know, are, are becoming more sophisticated. Social movements are becoming more sophisticated. Um, but yeah, I mean, we activist academics have a really important role to play, but we can't get sucked into the machine. That's right. Go for it, Uli. On the other side, um, the time that I need to do a peer-reviewed article is missed in the movement, is missed in the political action, because I don't put my brain into how to push the movement. I put my brain into a peer-reviewed article, which is read by uh, a dozen academics who are involving with the same theory maybe but it is not acknowledged by any of the politicians we want to reach out to for instance so uh, maybe um, just a question what needs to be changed in the institutional field of, of academia and you you were just about to give uh, an answer I, I think I yeah, make make them allow publication is to speak to more people than just the 12 other academics that are going to read it. And I fight with editors of journals all the time about this. It's like they say, make it more theoretical. I say, what, look, what, so nobody reads it at all? I mean, it's, this is a discussion that we can have with those journals. And I think that most people are recognizing that, that the highly theoretical journal articles are, <clears throat> are starting to just disappear up their own asses.
uh, what are your perspectives? What, uh, what would you like to see changed in the field of academia or maybe even in the activist field or field of uh, local politics? I, th I agree that uh, academia and social movements and activists have two different logics. Uh, and uh, I can see that even within one organization, which is the Institute for Political Ecology. So the people who came from the activist side, the people who came from the academic side, we have tensions because we come from different worlds, I mean, and which function on different logics, especially temporarily. Uh, so, you know, like, you know, in social movement, you want to solve stuff tomorrow. You are, you are asked what to do tomorrow. And, you know, in academic, it's like, you know, okay, first I have to write a project and then uh, I'm going to research for two years and then I will come to you with some answers and it will be already too late. So, you know, I'm now, you know, it's a caricature a bit. I mean, I'm over overreacting a bit, but there are a bit different logics. But in my mind, I think these two worlds have to talk together because the research has to be useful, I mean. And then also the social movement actions and activities and positions should be informed by good research. Otherwise, I mean, I think they go in vain. So, so I think there are tensions, but I, I'm all for kind of, you know, the exchange between these two different worlds, uh, which we really function different logics, but I really believe in this added value of this exchange between these two worlds. And, and you can see this also... I mean, it's changing a bit on the social movement side, where social movements order research from think tanks and from academics to help them with their struggles. Mm -hmm. And also, I see it on the academic side with, let's say, radical journals in geography, like Antipode, for example, which was very important for my studying when I was a student, even, yeah. uh, which, you know, open access are peer-reviewed, you know, kind of among the academics. And yes, they fight with big corporations, which own all the academic journals and, you know, index them. Uh, like Reuters, etc. I mean, but everybody has to do its own fight. Academics in the academic world and the uh, social movements in the social movement world. Yeah, yeah, I want to say something too. <laughs> I think this divide, as as we experienced it back in the 80s when we were students, this divide between uh, academia and and activism in the streets or in 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 in, in, in movements is is in a way artificial. And it's it, it it's not it's not it's not good and it's not helpful. So what we try to do is try to bridge this gap by 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 joining um, popular movements uh, and and informing them about what we had learned in university because not everybody has access to the universities. So we try to use our our knowledge and to to, to bring it to 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 make it this uh, um, um, usable to, uh, by the people. And we, we did, for example, we did a multimedia show on the development of our city, the city of Zurich, and it was in a way uh, agit prop, so uh, ag agitation and propaganda, but it was also science. So in a way, we tried to find a language to bring uh, uh, science into the movements, and and the other way around, also we tried to bring uh, the the movements' uh, aims and goals and ambitions and politics into university, and we were demanding more more political relevance in science instead of uh, staying in this uh, what we call in German the ivory tower uh, of of academia, where where it doesn't really 
matter what you do as long as it has uh, it follows the rules of academic research and analysis we we, we were saying that uh, uh, in our opinion uh, especially social science has to have a political uh, uh, attitude to what it is doing and it has to have a social relevance so the discussion definitely hasn't ended uh, with tonight but um, I would like to thank uh, all of you for for participating and uh, I really think you deserve a few more drinks tonight. Okay. <laughs> thank you. The discussion well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Urban Political. For more information, visit our website urbanpolitical.podigy.io. Please subscribe and follow us on Twitter.